Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the first 13 verses together today. Um, This morning we're continuing our sermon series, Walking Through the Life of King David. And if you recall from last week's message, um, when we looked at the uh, anointing of the first king, we looked at at a time in Israel's history. When um, before King Saul, um, God was the king of Israel, wasn't he? And God had promised the Israelites that he would go before them as a consuming fire. He would go before them into the promised land. He would go before them into battle. He would bless them, provide for them, and protect them. And you would think that God would have been enough for the Israelites, right? But he wasn't. What did the Israelites cry out for? They cried out for a king, didn't they? They wanted a king that looked like, so that they could look like all of the other nations on the face of the earth. There was one thing that set Israel apart from all the other nations. It was God was their king, but God wasn't enough for them, so they cry out for a king so that they can be like everyone else. And, and you know what? God granted them exactly what they wanted. They got their king, didn't they? You know, God grants us what we want as well, doesn't he? If we choose to live independently of God, you know what God allows us to do? Live independently of him. If we choose to live in the center of God's will, guess what God does? God promises us that he will go before us, that he will guide us, that he will lead us, doesn't he? You know, we serve a righteous, holy, amazing God who wants to be with us 24-7, But we also serve a God that promises us that if we want to live independently of him, he will grant us what we want. Israel would get their king, and their king would look like all of the other nations' king. In fact, he probably looked a little bit better than their kings did. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, we read these words, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Saul may have looked like a great king, but you know what? Saul was also a man that was selfish. He was arrogant. He disobeyed God time and time and time again. You know what Saul was? He was a man that wasn't after the man, after God's own heart, as we'll look at this morning, as we begin to look at David. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was not. So our title this morning is this, A Shepherd Boy Becomes King. And our focal passage, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 together, but our focal passage this morning is verse 7. And this is a passage of Scripture that all of us are familiar with. We probably have shared it time and time again as as we've done life with other people. But we read these words. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Looking good is a big business, isn't it? You know, um, 
It doesn't take much. Well, I guess it probably takes a lot more than I'm willing to spend to make me look good, all right? Um, But for for some, you know, they spend an absorbent amount of money to look good. In the year 2015, the beauty industry generated $56.2 billion. It's a lot of money trying to look good. And that isn't all that they spent. That was just a portion that they spent pretty much on this part of their body, okay? Um, Goldman Sachs estimated, estimates that the skincare industry in 2015 was worth $24 billion. It was a $24 billion a year industry, and it's more than that today. The cosmetic industry, $18 billion. $38 billion was spent on hair care products alone. Okay, I promise you, I do not contribute much to this particular part of the industry. $15 billion annually is spent on perfume or was spent in 2015. Translated, we spend a ton of money to look good. What does God tell us? God says that it's not what we look like on the outside that's important. It's how we look here how we look in our heart. What we're going to see this morning is the difference between two kings. King Saul, he was a man that looked like he should be king. He was a head taller than everyone else. He probably at times acted kingly, looked kingly. We know that he was a great military leader, but King Saul had many, many flaws, and that's why he lost the throne and David was placed upon the throne. Our message point this morning is this. God does not always call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. How one looks on the outside is not what is most important, but it is what is on the inside, the condition of one's heart, that is the most important. Once again, God does not always call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. Every single one of us in this room that have been called by Jesus, that have been set apart by Jesus unto salvation, we have been called by him. And guess what he does? He qualifies us for the calling. He, he, he appoints us to, to serve him. He gives us ministry opportunities when we yield our lives to him and allow him to transform us and mold us into the men and women that he created us to be. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. First thing we see here is Saul is rejected. Okay? In verses one, or verse 1, we read these words. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Saul has been rejected king, and his family has been rejected as being the successors of his throne. Okay, think about Samuel for just a moment. We spent a little bit of time talking about Samuel last week, but think about Samuel, okay? Um, Think about kind of where he was at in all of the change that was happening in Israel. Okay, whenever he became judge, when he became a prophet, God was the king of Israel, all right? But the people rejected God. Samuel was a judge. He was a prophet. He was the leader of the people. And so what did the people do? They rejected him as well. 
and God had called Samuel to go and appoint the first king, King Saul. And now what has happened? God has rejected King Saul as well. Think about if you were Samuel for just a moment. I mean, Samuel must have experienced all kinds of emotions. Man, he has seen leadership change after leadership change after leadership change. How many of you have ever been there? Okay, maybe it was at your place of work where you have seen change after change after change. Maybe it's CEOs of your company. Maybe it's just your boss. Boss after boss after boss. Maybe it's in the school system, principal after principal. Or maybe if you're a student, teacher after teacher. Maybe even in the church, pastor after pastor. You know, I know that probably all of us have been at a time in a church where we were without a pastor. You know, think about this church alone. I mean, about seven years ago, you found yourself without a pastor. Okay? Um, The pastor left. Many of the members would leave. Um, most of the staff, all the staff would eventually leave, and you were without. But guess what? God was faithful, wasn't he? God restored this church. God restored the leadership within this church. And what we're going to see this morning is that God also is going to restore the leadership of Israel. Not only is there going to be a godly king that is going to be anointed, but this godly king is going to recognize the king as being king and leader and guide upon his life. Notice our second point this morning. The next thing that we see here is Samuel is humbled. Okay, What, what happens is God eventually tells Samuel that it's time to stop mourning, time to put your big pants on and get back to work. Time of mourning was over, the time of weeping was over, and, and, and Samuel, I got a job for you to do. And so Samuel is going to be set apart by God once again to go and anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel is humbled. We read in verses 2 through 5 here. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Know this, God always provides a way. Samuel didn't know how this was going to happen. I mean, Samuel was probably pretty much under, not house arrest by no means, but, but there was an eye that was always watching him. Whenever he left, Saul probably dispatched men to go and see what he was going to do. So Saul, Samuel knew this, but God always provides a way, and we see that here clearly. In verse 3 we read, And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint from, for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Samuel arrives in Bethlehem and he calls together Jesse and his sons. Here's what we know. We know that from this household the next king is going to be anointed. But no one knows who that will be except for God alone. Not even Samuel. Samuel has no idea who is going to be anointed as the next king. Notice what we read in verse 6. It says this, When they came, he looked on Eliab, talking about Samuel here, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel looks around the room, 
and he sees these seven men that are, are young men. Some may have been teenagers, but sees them before him. And Samuel probably looked around that room and he thought, Eliab, that is the man that I'm going to anoint today to be the next king. Luckily for Samuel, as we read here, he did not speak those words. He thought those in his, his mind and in his heart is what he did. But God quickly corrected him. How many of you have ever opened up your mouth and said something that you regretted? Okay. Only every other word, right? Um, I, I've shared this story with you before, but I'll never forget um, at, at my last church, um, there was a family that had, that had come in and they wanted to inquire a little bit about the church. And, and so I met them out in the, the foyer area and we talked and they had children ranging from preschool all the way up to teenagers. And so I said, hey, let's go on a tour. So I take them on a tour. We walked through the preschool area, the children area, the youth area. I introduced them to a few staff. We walked into the, the, the worship center and just had a great time of fellowship, a great conversation. And so we kind of conclude our tour out in the foyer area. And as we're talking with each other, I remember looking at this young lady and asking her, so when are you expecting? And as you can imagine, she said, I'm not pregnant. Um, well, long story short, they became members of the church. I didn't run them off, but I will never forget putting my foot in my mouth on that day. Can you imagine if Samuel had looked around that room and looked at Eliab and said, Eliab, buddy, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine? I mean, God already put, will already put Samuel in his place, Okay. But can you imagine if he would have verbalized those words, hey, you're going to be the next king, and then God slapped Samuel upside the head and said, hey, he's not going to be the next king. Notice, notice this, okay? The next king is not going to be a man that looks like King Saul. Saul, we know, he looked like a king, okay, for as far as we know what a king should look like, Okay? And Eliab may have looked like a king. He may have demonstrated some kingly characteristics. He may have been the leader amongst his brothers, and Samuel may have even seen that. We know that he was a military leader because we're going to read about that next week when we look at David and Goliath. But you know what? Eliab wasn't a man after God's own heart because God was looking for a man after his own heart. So Samuel thought, and God quickly made it clear that the next king of Israel would not be a man that looks like Saul, nor a man that looks like the kings of the other nations. He would be a king, be a king chosen by God, appointed by God, and led by God, and he would be a man after God's own heart. Notice verse 7 again. We read these words. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Probably every single one of us in this room are guilty of judging a book by its cover. Would you agree with that? You know, we've all done that before. We've all looked upon someone or something and, 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 and judged them by their appearance, maybe because they looked beautiful or maybe because they looked the opposite of beautiful or handsome or whatever the case might be. 
Um, Some of you are familiar with this brand. I've heard of it, never bought anything from this place, never will. But a few years ago, the CEO of Abercrombie & Fitch admitted that they wanted only beautiful people. Their stores had no clothes for fat people. They didn't hire ugly people as salespeople. Their CEO, Mike Jeffries, told a magazine, we go after the attractive, all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes, he said, and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. Today, Abercrombie and Fitch's stock's down more than 50%, and they are closing store after store after store. Is it because they were exclusionary? I have no idea, but I do know this, that, that, that we cannot base someone's um, abilities or someone's character by their outward appearance. Samuel would have, was guilty of that. That's why God had to humble him. So the Lord tells Samuel and us here what is most important. It's not outside physical features, but it is condition of one's heart. You know, there is one person that you and I cannot trick, and that is God, right? Because God knows everything about us. He knows our character. He knows our heart. He knows everything about us, and he knew David And David was a teenager who pursued after God. And that is why David was chosen and appointed as the next king of Israel. Once the Lord told Samuel what kind of a a man would be anointed the next king, Samuel became God's anointing vessel. He allowed God to use him to anoint that next king. Continue reading with me this morning. In verses 8 through 10, we read these words. Then Jesse called Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Each and every son of Jesse's passed before Samuel. And each and every one of them is rejected by God. Jesse had eight sons. And Jesse knew the one son that would not be anointed king. And who was that? That was David, right? Where was David? And David was out tending the sheep. David was out doing the crummiest job in the household of of Jesse's. Okay. We've looked at this before, but, but in the early days of civilization, human history, okay, it, was, it was a noble task to be appointed a shepherd. Okay. But as the years began to fade, it turned into anything but a noble position. I mean, it was what the hirelings did. It is what the slaves did. It was the job that nobody wanted to do. And so who does Jesse send to take care of the sheep? The runt of the family. So Jesse knew there was one son of his that would not be king. But guess what happens? Continue to read with me now. In verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until 
he comes. This word used here for youngest, okay? This is, doesn't just mean age-wise, okay? This word youngest that's used here in the Hebrew actually means unimportant or least. So what does Jesse tell Samuel? Hey, my most unimportant, the least of all of my sons is out in the field taking care of the sheep. Isn't that, isn't that tragic to think? I mean, Jesse clearly played favorites, didn't he? There was one son that wasn't worthy of anything in his household, and that was Jesse, the run of the family, the unimportant one, and the least of these. But notice what happens next. Our next point is this. David is anointed. In verse 12, we read, and he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This least likely son would become the man that God had chosen and appointed to be the next king of Israel. He did not look kingly at the time. He was young. He was a young teenager is what he was. But guess what? God saw who he was, and God knew who he was he would become. God sees you today. He knows who you are. He knows what you are. He knows whose you are. He knows who you will become. And guess what? He knows who you could become as well. Now, if we would live our lives yielded unto Jesus guess what? God can and will do mighty and amazing things through us, just like he did through King David. David was a godly young man. When I think about David, I think about verses like 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, the first part of that verse says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You know, at the time of David, millions of people lived in Israel. Millions more lived on the face of the earth. And God knew every single one of them. And guess what God did? He looked down and he chose the runt of the group. He chose David to be king and to be leader. David was a teenager at the time. But this teenager was a godly young man. And I pray that is said of all of our teenagers in this room, all of our young people in this room, all of our adults, all of our mid-adults, all of our senior adults, all of us in this room, that we are godly men and women. We read of David in Psalm 89, Verses 19 through 26, the psalmist wrote these words about David. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. 
My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall, be, shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. These are words that were written about King David. In verse 33, if you drop down just a few verses, we read this word, these words. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. You know what? That promise extends to us as well. The Lord will not take his hand off of us. He will not remove his steadfast love from us. You know why? Because God is with us. God is our guide. God is our light. He is the source that we need, the only source that we need as we go throughout life together. So David was a godly man. You know what David also was? He was faithful. He was faithful to the work that he had been appointed to do. You know, before David would go and lead the nation of Israel. He had a, 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 a small, probably what most would deem as we looked at, an unimportant job. He was a shepherd boy. What's going to happen with Saul is this. Because of Saul's unfaithfulness, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be removed from him, and an evil spirit is going to terrorize him. And really the only thing that could calm King Saul was uh, music. And some of us in this room, we love music, man. It's calming to our spirits. And, and music for Saul would be that thing that would calm, calm him down. Well, David was not only um, a shepherd boy, but he was also a musician, wasn't he? He, 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 he? he played instruments. And so what we know is this, that, that after David is anointed to be the next king of Israel, the next leader of Israel. David could have easily looked to his brother and say, hey, man, this job of watching the sheep, man, that's not for me. That's your job now. You go down and do that. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. That's not what David did, was it? He was faithful to the job that he had. And we read in Scripture here that Saul gets word of David, how he's a musician. And so Saul sends down a group of messengers to fetch David, to bring him back into the palace. And we read these words in verse 19 of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And so David, after he's anointed king, he's taking care of the sheep. So David was faithful to the jobs that he was given. He was a faithful shepherd, and he would be even a more faithful king. And we also see here that David was a man of integrity. And we read in Psalm chapter 78, verses 70 and 72, we read these words. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With, the upright, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So David was faithful. He was a man of integrity. He did the work that he was called to do. Can that be said of all of us in this room? Are we godly men and women? Are we faithful to the work that we have been called to do? And are we upright people? People of integrity, both when people are watching us and when people are not watching 
us. Finally, we see that David is empowered. In verse 13, we read these words, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. In the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David was anointed with oil. But the real anointing that happened that day wasn't the anointing of oil that he received, but it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life. And David was given, or we read in Scripture, that the Spirit of the Lord never departed from David, like the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. In the Old Testament, what we see is we see a temporary fulfillment of the Holy Spirit upon individuals' lives, right? David would be with him all of the days of his life. But for us, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, from the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and the Holy Spirit will never leave us The Holy Spirit will never forsake us. The Holy Spirit will never abandon us. The Holy Spirit is with us from the moment of our salvation until that moment when we dwell in the presence of the Lord if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a promise that we have in Scripture. So what we see here is is the oil was a symbol of, of the Holy Spirit coming upon David. When we think about Jesus, the day that Jesus is baptized, we, we see the, the, the Spirit of the Lord manifested in the appearance of a dove, right? And then when we think about the day of Pentecost, when the 120 in the upper room received the Holy Spirit, we see the anointing of the Spirit looks and appears to be like that of a flaming tongue's Fire is how the Holy Spirit fell upon those in the upper room. You know, you and I may not receive the same kind of um, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit when it came upon us at the moment of our salvation, but we can be certain that just like the Holy Spirit came upon David and the 120 in the upper room, the Holy Spirit has come upon us if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come within us and dwells within us, is our comforter, is our guide, and, and because the Holy Spirit lives within us, guess what? We are holy individuals that have been consecrated unto the Father to do the work of ministry. We have all been called and commissioned to go, to carry out the work that we have been called to do. We have been called as men, women, students to lead the local church. We have been called to lead out within our homes. Students, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been called to lead on your school campuses. We have all been called to lead at our places of employment, to lead out within our communities. And we have been called and set apart as missionaries and as ambassadors of the Lord to take the gospel of Jesus Christ not only across the street, but also around the world. Chuck Swindoll um, wrote a book called David. Great book. I recommend as we walk through this series together that you read this book, as I have been doing as well. But in, in, in this book, he, he, he shares um, these application points. He says this, God's solutions are often strange and simple, so be open. Be open to the Lord, okay? You know, there are times that we are going to go through life and we're going to think, man, what is next? Man, what is it, Lord, that you are trying to show me or share with me or make known to me? 
Be open to the Lord because you can promise that if you have a a receiving spirit, the Lord is going to be giving because God is a giving God. The Lord is a giving God. God's promotions are usually sudden and surprising, so be ready. How many of you have just ever been received that kind of a promotion where you're like, man, I'm not going anywhere. And then all of a sudden overnight, the Lord says, no, you are going somewhere. You're going here. You know, I think that all of us have been at that place. Maybe it was a move from a job. Maybe it was a move from one community to another community. Maybe it was a life change when you got married or you started having kids. Just all of a sudden, life changed in an instant. So we need to be ready for whatever it is that the Lord has in store for us. And also we see here, God's selections are always sovereign and sure. So be sensitive. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. One promise that we have is that the Lord wants to use us. If we have a willing spirit and an open heart, we say, God, use us. Guess what God's going to do? God is going to use us. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting upon your life. Sometimes the Lord's ways do not make sense to us. You and I would have probably not chosen David that day. We probably would have chosen Eliab because he was probably the one that looked more kingly. But guess what? God doesn't always choose the one that looks more kingly. Why? Because the person that looks more kingly may be all about self and not about God. King David wasn't about self. He was about God, and he pursued after God. Now, was David perfect? No. David wasn't perfect, just like none of us in this room are perfect. David made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, and as we walk through this King David sermon series, we're going to study those mistakes that he made, but we're also going to see at the end of those mistakes, what would David do? He would always return to the Lord. You and I are going to make mistakes. Some of you may have made mistakes this week, and you've already returned back to the Lord, but you may be here this morning, you haven't returned back to the Lord. Man, maybe you made a mistake 20 years ago and you've been living with the consequences of that mistake or you've been living with the guilt of that mistake and you've never turned to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me for that mistake. You may need to do that today. It may have happened yesterday. It may have happened 20 years ago. But you may need to return to the Lord just as David would do time and time again and say, God, forgive me. You know, I don't know what decision this morning that you need to make, but I do want to remind us this morning of this. God knows who you are. God knows everything about you, okay? He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about us. He knows who you are. He knows whether you are a child of God or he knows whether or not you're not a child of God. He knows who you will become, and he also knows who you could become. I don't know about you, but I want to live within that last sentence there, who you could become. You know, all of us in this room can do mighty things for God if we only yield our lives over to him. King David will do mighty things for God because he yielded his life over to him. May all of us find ourselves with hearts yielded to the Lord, and may we all follow after God in all that we do. Once again, I don't know what kind of decision you need to make. This morning you may be here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, you don't know what I'm talking about whenever I talk about having a heart of God or being faithful or being a person of integrity or repentant of your sins. You know, the Bible promises us this, that if we were to repent of our sins and cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives, he will save us. And with that salvation also comes the assurance of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and the assurance of eternal life with Jesus when we die. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and today may be the day that you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may be here this morning, and, and man, you just need to just ask God to forgive you for a sin or a series of sins. And you may need to say, God, forgive me for these things. I've fallen short of who the person that you created me to be. You may be here this morning, and, and, and you need to come to this altar and just pray. You know, I don't know what decision you need to make, but in just a moment, I want to invite you to come. Either trust Jesus, kneel at this altar. You may need to come and join this church. I don't know what decision you need to make. But let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And when I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house. Father, I know that every single one of us in this room at one point or another have fallen short of who you've created us to be, just as King David had done. Father, you are not looking for perfect people because at the moment of salvation, you make us perfect. And what a glorious thing that is to know that we don't come before you having all of our ducks in the row. We don't come before you already being people of integrity. You make us that after we receive you to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. You make us that after we're saved. And Father, that is so comforting to know that it's not about us, it's about you. And so Father, I pray this morning, if there is someone in this room that needs to yield over their lives to you, to repent of their sins and cry out to you, to be Lord and Savior of their lives, I pray that they'll do that today. There may be someone here this morning or some a family here this morning that you are leading to make friendship their church home, and we invite them to do that. There may be some here this morning that just needs to spend the next few moments praying. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. Father, just move now. Move now. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.